I've done this article last year, but I have new articles, so I'm going to give you more solid information than I did last time. We're, today we're talking about cult survival, C-U-L-T survival. HuffingtonPost.com by Samantha Field Contributor. She's a blogger and she's also a progressive liberal Christian. September 19, 2013, 2.45 p.m. East Coast Times when it was originally published. It was updated November 19, 2013. There have, there have been of things I've heard since I left Christian fundamentalism after spending 14 years more than half my life in it, and most of them make me want to tear my hair out. 15 things not to say to a recovering fundamentalist Christian. There have been... Again, there have been plenty of things I've heard since I've left Christian fundamentalism after spending 14 years, in parentheses, more than half my life in it. And most of them make me want to tear my hair out. So I put out a general call for some of the gems you have heard. And here's a few that I got back. One, this is number one. Taryn says, you just need to work through your bitterness. Bitterness, it's a good idea to pretty much never use that word in particular. Bitterness, in fundy speak, is a tool to silence anyone who is being critical. If you're accused of quote-unquote bitterness, it means that you are incapable of viewing any situation or person quote-unquote correctly, that you lack the capacity for love and grace. And what you actually need to work on is yourself. You're imagining things, nothing bad is happening, and you have a screw loose. This is actually a form of gaslighting, convincing the person who's being attacked that they're just crazy. And we've been beaten over the head with it for years. Just because we're saying things about the church that aren't pleasant doesn't make us bitter. Just because we sound angry doesn't mean we're bitter. Number two, Lydia says, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are a lot of variations on this one, but it all boils down to this idea that Christianity is fine. It's really just our personal experiences that we have to get over. And I get why this one comes up a lot. For Christians who aren't who aren't in fundamentalism, and for Christians who haven't experienced either a fundament, fundamentalism or b spiritual abuse, their religion is one of the best, most wonderful, spectacular things in their life, and they couldn't imagine living without it. For us, though. It's not even remotely the same feeling. When Christianity has been the weapon used to beat you, sometimes throwing the whole thing out is the only healthy thing left to do. Number three, Libby Ann says, you were never really a Christian. It's the teachings of quote-unquote eternal security and quote-unquote by their fruits you shall know them, 
taken one step too far. And frankly, it's cod swallow. That is a dictionary word for bullshit. By any measure, people who grew up in Christian fundamentalism prayed the sinner's prayer, loved God, loved Jesus. They were Christians any way you look at it. Just because they're not Christians now has absolutely zero bearing on if they were Christians then. The same thing goes if they don't fit your particular criteria for what you think a quote-unquote Christian is. Four, K.R. Taylor says, if you're not currently attending a church, you have walked away from God. People usually come to me armed with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourself together, which is really just code for quote-unquote Real Christians go to church, which seriously, asking some of us to go back to church is like asking a soldier with severe PTS, post-traumatic stress, to go back to the battlefield or asking a battered wife to go back to her abusive husband. You're telling us that the only way we can be a quote-unquote true Christian is if we go to a building where all the other quote-unquote true Christians are once a week, and aside from sounding ridiculous, I'm just going to say fucked up, it's inconsiderate and displays an astounding lack of compassion. If you're telling someone who you know has been spiritually abused to get their ass back in church, All it means is that you haven't been actually listening to us. If you were listening, you'd know exactly how hurtful and dismissive you sound. Number five, Danny says, you need to work this out with trembling and fear. Also known as, quote unquote, are you sure you want to be asking these questions? Questions in many arenas of Christianity make a lot of us uncomfortable. The unfortunate thing that I've encountered the most is that I grew up understanding more about the God of the Old Testament than a lot of quote-unquote typical Christians I've encountered since getting outside of fundamentalism. Questions like, quote-unquote, is God really a genocidal megalomaniac? Or, quote-unquote, how is it fair or loving to hold millions of people accountable for something they've never heard of? And to make it more modern, how is it fair or loving to hold billions of people accountable for something they've never heard of? Quote-unquote. Are legitimate, but they're also not easy. As fundamentalists, we tend to be intimately familiar with an angry, jealous, righteous God and trying to figure out how that's the same person that is also supposed to be loved is hard. Beyond hard at times, it's downright impossible for many of us. Six, Hannah says, I wish people just knew that if they remembered how good Jesus' love for us is, these things wouldn't seem so hard. This one feels empty. I'm super happy for all those people who have have had amazing experiences with Jesus and their religion. But how good 
God or Jesus is doesn't really change the fact that a lot of people's lives are hell hole are hell holes, or that a lot of people who claim Jesus's name have done some heinously evil things and telling us just to ignore our quote-unquote hardships because quote-unquote Jesus loves you exclamation point is basically meaningless it's like splashing orange juice on a bullet wound sure orange juice is awesome and vitamin C is good for you but it's not going to do anything to help seven Bose says why do you have to criticize the church? Do you hate Christians? Probably more than a lot of these. This one makes me want to tear my hair out and beat my head against the wall. I think this is another example of the Christian persecution complex gone crazy. There's this perception that Christianity is under constant brutal attack on all fronts and it's a battle we're all gloriously and nobly fighting but it's going to overwhelm us at some point and then everything will be terrible this results in any form of criticism whatsoever being perceived as in quote-unquote attack if what we have to say about the church isn't all happy happy joy joy then we should just stay quiet because we're just making christianity look bad but they're not concerned about making jesus look bad is what came off the top of my head in the form of a question. The word idolatry pops into mind now that I think about it. To ex-fundamentalists, this is a line we're more than familiar with. Defending the reputation of the organization at the cost of actual people is a line we know by heart. Eight, Abby says, quoting Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, or Romans chapter 8, verse 28, or pretty much any handpicked verse about God working everything out. Proof texting. If there's one thing that a lot of Christians, but fundamentalists in particular, are exceedingly good at, it's, it's this. Most of the pastors and preachers I've heard are the kings of taking verses out of context and making it sound good. First of all, using verses like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you in quotations is bad hermeneutics. Also, throwing single verses at us isn't very helpful and is really just frustrating. I'm also thinking of you're pissing people off. When Bible verses enter the conversation like this, it usually means that whoever we're talking to is done listening and they decided the most helpful thing they could do is use a trite cliche we've heard exactly 164,455,795 times before. Damn. Damn, that's all I can say. Nine, you're hurting the church. We need unity, not division. If I had a nickel, it's related to the do you hate Christians comment, but this one is specifically in order to shut up and color. That's like Laura Ingram telling LeBron James, shut up and dribble. 
criticisms of Christianity are not sowing division, just to be clear. There are all kinds of things that sow division, like telling the people in Moore, Oklahoma, that, that they should be grateful that God designed to destroy their homes. Or covering up child molestation by passive in your churches for over 30 years, but standing up for the broken isn't one of them. I want to make sure I said that word right because it, it, it bothers me if I mispronounce it. If I did, I would state the whole thing. Please give me a moment. You might hear something. Okay, I did. I'll go back. Nine. You're hurting the church. We need unity, not division. If I had a nickel, it's related to the do you hate Christians comment, but this one is specifically in order to shut up and color. Criticism of Christianity and not selling division, just to be clear. There are all kinds of things that sow division, like telling the people in more Oklahoma that they should be grateful that God deigned to destroy their homes or covering up child molestation by pastors in your churches for over 30 years, standing up for the brokenness of one of them. 10. I'm a slash my church is fundamentalist and I'm slash we're not anything like what you're describing. I run into this sentiment a lot. In fact, when I put out my request for this one on Twitter, one of the people responded said, I'm a fundamentalist, please don't throw stones, which was just ironically funny, but also made me sigh. I use the words fundamentalist and, fundament and fundamentalism to talk about a specific Christian movement, and I use the accepted term to describe it. I know a lot of people who claim the label fundamentalist. In fact, one of my best and dearest friends does who don't actually fit. There's a difference between traditionalism, religious conservatism, and adherence to fundamentals, which is really just Protestant orthodoxy and fundamentalism. I'm using the term as it is modernly defined. However, there are a lot of people who are fundamentalists and fit exactly what I'm describing and still say this, which just boggles. 11, Tricia says, if you're truly seek, if you're truly seeking God in this time, He will lead you to the truth. And if I'm led to believing in universalism or atheism or neo-paganism, somehow I don't think they'll believe me because "quote unquote" truth usually means whatever I think the Bible says. The catch in the statement is if you are truly seeking. And they get to determine what truly seeking entails. If I don't eventually end up agreeing with them, well, I must not have been truly seeking. 12. Fundamentalism isn't really Christianity. Oh boy, I get this one so much and I'm never entirely sure how to respond to it because damn. What do they think Christianity is then? It's a pretty big religion and it's got an awful lot of denominations. If believing that Jesus is God literally came to earth, was crucified and resurrected, and now sits on the right hand of the Father, and he did all of this to save us from our sins, doesn't qualify you for Christianity, I'd like to see what does. Fundamentalism is an especially pernicious subculture in Christianity, but it's not something totally different. They believe a lot of the exact same stuff that most Christians do, which was a huge shock when I eventually figured that one out. But they take the hard-edged stance that they're the only true Christians. So it's always funny to me when a non-fundamentalist says the exact same thing 
a fundamentalist would say about them. 13. Hannah says, be careful you don't lose your faith. People are genuinely concerned about us and just want to make sure that we're okay. However, the concept that we could be quote-unquote okay without religion, without Christianity, is a little bit too far outside the box for a lot of Christians. To a lot of the people I know, living without their faith would be pretty unthinkable. Thoughts like, quote-unquote, I don't know how people survive without Jesus, which is a modern remix of, you can do all things through Christ, are pretty common among Christians, and they mean it. To be honest, I've said that sort of thing on more than one occasion. But let me assure you, we're just fine. For a lot of us, losing our faith was the best and hardest thing that ever happened to us. 14, Lana says, I'll pray for you. And what they mean by this is, I hope God shows you exactly how wrong you are soon. Thanks to Angela. Also, please avoid this one. If there's a more empty, meaningless phrase in all of Christianity, I'd like to hear it because I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist. When someone says something like this, what most recovering fundies hear is, I don't care about your problems. I want to exit this conversation and please don't even mention the fact that you've had a bad experience to me ever again. Lastly, 15, your critiques of Christianity aren't valid because you're just confusing it with your fundamentalist background. And for me, this is the one that makes me want to rage stomp. Because yes, my background was pretty bad. Yes, the church I grew up in was pretty crazy. Yes, the easiest way I have of describing my experience is by calling the whole thing a cult. However, fundamentalism is really just a microcosm of Christianity in general. It's not that there's anything about fundamentalism that is super off the radar crazy that makes it obviously bad. All it is really is a concentrated version of Christianity. Think of every single thing you've ever run into at your completely normal run-of-the-mill Protestant churches, and I guarantee you that you'll find it in the fundamentalist church. They're not different, really. They're just intensified. Because of that, my background makes me more qualified to speak about submission, because I have more experience with more aspects of it being a typical churchgoer. I actually know what some of these teachings do when they're consistently enforced. And that wraps it up for me. What about you? What are some things you've heard that just make you go crazy? Well, I am a recovering fundamentalist Christian. I am a recovering fundamentalist. Um, I am recovering from traditionalism. I am recovering from religious conservatism. I am recovering from Protestant orthodoxy too. And so I left Christian fundamentalism. I'm recovering from Christian fundamentalism. I will never go back to any of these types of ways of approaching faith ever again. And when I say I'm recovering from those things, I'm talking about 
how they were used to harm me and not actually love me. Um, I've done this article before, but it's got to be said again. The us versus them world of fundamentalist Christianity. Bruce Gerenser, February 6, 2020. Recently, my friend Bob Felton wrote, Certainly, I do not mean to relieve Christian cultists of their moral responsibility for their sometimes very bad behavior. It does bear mention, however, that those who are raised in this nonsense live in an environment where cult ethics are the norm. And the New Testament affirmatively does cultivate cult ethics. See Matthew chapter 12, verses 40, 60, 50 for a famous example. Such people are reared within us, people of God versus them, the wicked, wicked world, worldview. They are incapable of seeing themselves as skeptics. They are incapable of seeing themselves as skeptics see them. I very often do sincerely believe their bad behavior pleases an invisible friend. Maybe Bruce could weigh in and let us know what he talked on this subject when he was preaching. I was raised in an independent fundamentalist Baptist IFB church movement. I made a public profession of faith and was baptized as a 15-year-old boy at Trinity Baptist Church in Finlay, Ohio. Several weeks later, I announced to the church that God was calling me to preach. Two weeks later, I preached my first sermon from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's deed be reconciled to God. Four years later, I left Bryan, Ohio, and moved to Pontiac, Michigan, to enroll in class at Midwestern Baptist College. While there, I met and married the daughter of, of IFB preacher and Midwestern grad Lee Shope. In the spring of 1979, Polly and I left Midwestern and moved to Bryan in the home of my birth. A few weeks later, I was asked to be the assistant pastor of Mont Pelier Baptist Church, a fast-growing general association of regular Baptist churches, G-A-R-B-C congregation. Thus began my official entrance into the ministry. And that 25 years would take us to churches in Ohio, Texas, and Michigan. Um, my theology and practice would evolve over the course of my ministerial careers. How I viewed the world and its opposition to evangelicalism remained constant. While it is certainly true that I was far more... Let me make sure I... Because some words I'm, I don't want to struggle with certain words, so... Ecumenical. There you go. Let me go back. While my theology and practice would evolve over the course of my ministerial careers, how I viewed the quote-unquote world and its opposition to evangelicalism remained constant. While it is certainly true that I was far more ecumenical at the end of my career than at the start, my opinion of the quote-unquote world remained the same. From start to finish, I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Yes, my view on Bible inerrancy and infallibility evolved over the years. But I always believe that the Bible is a supernatural book, a book different and above all other books. Thus, I took seriously the teachings of the Bible. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the Bible says, 
love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth, for, abideth forever. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 states, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath life have light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. It will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, rather reprove them. As a Bible-believing man of God, I found these verses clear. Christians were to separate themselves from the, from the world and avoid contact with unbelievers. This us versus them view of the world theme runs throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In the Old Testament, God picked Israelis, Jews, as his chosen people. They were commanded to separate themselves from the heathen nations of the world. God even commanded the Israelites to murder nearby worshipers of false gods so they wouldn't influence and infect God's chosen ones. Even in the book of Revelation, we find God renewing the us from the them. Separation then from the world has always been God's standard of conduct for those who worship him. How this separation is practiced varies from sect to sect, S-E-C-T, church to church and Christian to Christian. I taught Congress that they were to separate themselves from the world as much as they could. It would be impossible to totally separate oneself from the world, but interaction with the unwashed, uncircumcised Philistines of the world should be limited to necessary acts of commerce. And even here, Christians should seek to distance themselves from the taint of the world. I remember a time when I tried to find a grocery store that didn't sell alcohol. I found one store, a Mennonite-owned store in Muskegon County. Things were horribly expensive, and the store carried a limited supply of goods. After a few weeks of shopping there, I gave up and went back to the world. Notice that I, notice that I used the I pronoun and not we. This was back in our patriarchal days. I was the head of the household. Deciding where we shopped was up to me, not Polly. How separated Polly wanted to be didn't matter. She was going to be as separate from the world as I was, at least outwardly. Separation from the world affected every aspect of our lives, from the clothes we wore to where we went for entertainment. It was not uncommon for me to ask, what would Jesus say or think if we went here or did this or that? WWJD, what would Jesus do deeply influence my thinking, decision-making, and preaching? Would Jesus go here? Would Jesus associate with this person? This kind of thinking fueled my us versus them mentality. I frequently preach sermons on separation and holiness, how true Christians separate themselves from the world and abstain from the very appearance of evil. 
Evil, of course, being any behavior deemed sinful by one Reverend Bruce D. Gerenser, man of God. Years ago, I attended a Buck Guy Independent Baptist Fellowship meeting for preachers in Columbus. Such meetings were times for like-minded preachers to get together and gossip, break bread, and listen to preaching. One preacher preached from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, neither give place to the devil. After reading his proof text, this man spent the next 40 or so minutes listing every behavior he deemed giving place to the devil. He had all the big sins getting miraculous amens from many of the preachers in attendance. In 2015, I wrote a post entitled, An Independent Baptist Hateless. I listed some of the people and things IFB preachers hate. Okay, Here, here's the, again, I listed some of the people and things IFB preachers hate. This is Bruce talking now. Roman Catholics, Charismatics, Pentecostals, Armenians, Calvinists, Denominational Baptists, MTV, Television, HBO, Secular Radio, Contemporary Christian Music, Christian TV, Pagan Holidays, Rock and Roll Music, Long Hair on Men, Short Skirts on Women, Pants on Women, Shorts on Women, Smoking, Alcohol, Hollywood, Atheism, Secularism, Humanism, Pluralism, Socialism, com Communism, Liberals, Progressive, Democrats, Bill Clinton, Liberal Christian Colleges, Female Preachers, Effeminate Male Preachers, Effeminate Men, Henpecked Men, Haughty Women, Church Members Who Disagree with the Pastor, Premarital Sex, Extramarital Sex, Christmas, World Council of Churches, National Association of Evangelicals, Billy Graham, the New International Version, NIV of the Bible, the Living Bible, Dancing, Card, Playing. This list is but the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the people and things hated by fundamentalist Christians. The goal of all this hating is to create a vast space between us and them, between the saved and the lost, between true Christians and Christians in name only. While certainly many fundamentalists just go along with the rules to fit in, Many of them are really true believers. I know I was. James chapter 4, verse 27, described pure religion this way. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Want to have pure religion and be undefiled before God? Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Unspotted means unblemished, irreproachable, unsullied, free from vice. A sure way to accomplish this is to stay away from the world. First Peter chapter 1 verses 15 through 16 commands Christians to be holy in all manners of conversation slash lifestyle. Why? Because as God is holy, we should be also. How many Christians do you know who keep themselves unspotted from the world, who are holy in all manners of conversation? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. The answer is, quote unquote, none. No matter how hard fundamentalists try to keep a clear distinct difference between us and them. They generally have the same wants, needs, and desires as unbelievers. Certainly, Christian fundamentalists try their damnedest to be and stay right with God. But the fact remains that they sin according to the Bible in thought, word, and deed. No matter how hard they try to distance themselves from the world, the world and its wonders creep in. While I became more liberal progressive in the latter years of my ministerial career, I don't know that I ever shook us versus them thinking. I did in retrospect conclude that I was quite the hypocrite. I would stand behind the pulpit on Sundays and preach against the world, calling on congregants to separate themselves from evil works of darkness. 
But on Saturday, I would load my family to our car and drive to a nearby dirt racetrack so we could watch the races. If there were ever places that the world and its vices were on full display, it was the racetrack. Yet, yet Pastor Bruce, his dress-wearing wife, and their children attended races at tracks such as RR Speedway, Midway Speedway, KC Speedway, and Skyline Speedway. Sometimes we would attend races on Friday and Saturday night. On one Saturday, we attended a big stars, S-T-A-R-S, race at Midway. All the big-name dirt track races would be there. Unfortunately, it rained and the race was postponed to the next day. Sunday, what am I going to do? I thought at the time, the right thing to go was to go to church just like we did every Sunday night. But creative Bruce schemed a way to do both. Rather than preach Sunday night, I instead planned for us to have a special communion service after our afternoon church meal. By doing this, we were able to make it to the races on time. I battled guilt for a bit, but once I smelled wafts of racing fuel and heard the thundering noise of late model race cars, my mind quickly turned to racing. And boy, what a night of racing it was, as my older sons can attest. I am sure by telling the story and others I've told of years that my critics see evidence that I was never a true Christian. However, on balance, I really tried to keep myself unspotted from the world. I really tried my best to avoid contact with unbelievers outside of commerce and evangelization. But try as I might, the world, the wild, wonderful world, sometimes called out to me more often than not, I gave and indulged my so-called fleshly desires. We left Christianity in 2008, which afforded my wife and me the freedom to live in the world without feeling sinful or guilty. We do what we want to do, no regrets. While us versus them can still affect my thinking, especially when it comes to politics, I try my best to be worldly. I missed out on a lot of life during the first 50 years of my life. No longer. It's wonderful to have the freedom to do whatever you want with no thought of what God or others might say. Only wish I had the young, healthy body that I had in my preaching days. Some racetracks have what are called run-what-you-brung races. No rules. Just race the car you pull off your trailer. That's life for me these days. My life may be a banged-up street stock on its last leg, but I tend to race it as hard and as fast as I can until I reach the finish line. How about you? Were you taught to view the world as us versus them? Did your church or pastor preach against the world? What behaviors were considered on, what behaviors were considered worldly? Were you a hypocrite? Did you try to abstain from the appearance of evil but fail to do so? Please share your stories in the comments section. Um, yes, I was taught to have an us versus them mentality from the evangelical world. I left evangelical Christianity. I left evangelicalism. I am an ex-evangelical and I'm an ex-Christian. This is the truth. And I don't feel that desire anymore. And I would say for Bruce, he have to he has to get rid of that us versus them because it is going to hold him back from living out the best part of his life, which is what we say the rest of the rest of your life. Okay. Um, I overcame what I was taught. I never had an us versus them mentality, but I did overcome what I was taught. And I'm very grateful for that indeed. I'm so grateful for that. I really am.
Alright, so... Let me go to that hate list. If it works. Okay, it does work. An independent fundamentalist Baptist hate list. Bruce Gerenza. This is I've done this one before. You know, this episode before. John chapter 1, verse 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. That's what I said originally, but I'll say it again. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all of that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. Independent fundamentalist Baptist IFB are taught to be anti-cultural to hate the world. For all their talk about salvation by grace, IFB preachers preach a works gospel. If church members don't obey the Bible, specifically the pastor's interpretation and application of the Bible, they're considered rebellious, out of the will of God, backslidden, or worldly. A bought by the blood, sanctified, sold out, filled the Holy Ghost, King James Bible, carrying independent Baptist shuns the world. Said he embraces an alternative world is known as the church family. Being a good member of the church family requires conformity to the pastor's, I mean God's dictates. Put that in parentheses. If the pastor hates something, you better hate it. After all, the Bible tells Christians that they should love what God loves to hate what God hates. Funny how people mistake the pastor for God. What follows is a list of things I told church members they should hate. This list evolved over time, hitting its peak in the early 1990s and slowly shrank after that. I find this list quite embarrassing, but it is what it is. Here are what a lot of IFB preachers, IFB congregations hate. Again, Roman Catholics, Charismatics, Pentecostals, Arminians, Calvinists, Denominational Baptists, MTV, Television, HBO, Secular Radio, Contemporary Christian Music, Christian TV, Pagan Holidays, Rock and Roll Music, Country music, long hair on men, short skirts on women, pants on women, shorts on women, smoking, alcohol, Hollywood, atheism, secularism, humanism, pluralism, socialism, communism, liberals, progressive Democrats, Bill Clinton, liberal Christian colleges, female preachers, effeminate male preachers, effeminate men, impact women, haughty women, psychiatry, church members who disagree with the pastor, premarital sex, Extramarital sex, abortion, Christmas, Halloween, Easter Bunny, World Council of Churches, National Association of Evangelicals, Billy Graham, NIV version of the Bible, NSAB version of the Bible, NKJV version of the Bible, RSV version of the Bible, ESV version of the Bible, NLT version of the Bible, The Living Bible, Dancing, Card Playing. The number one hate for the independent Baptist self. The Bible says IFB believers are to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. Human beings, according to the Bible, are wicked, vile, evil, depraved sinners. We deserve having the wrath of God poured out on our heads. We deserve judgment in hell. Jesus, the eternal, sinless Son of God, came to earth, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead three days later so we can have our sins forgiven and go to heaven when we die. Once God saves us, we are to spend the rest of our life groveling before a thrice holy God, praising him for delivering us from our wickedness in the world. Every week, IFB believers go to their church to listen to their pastors and teachers tell them more things they need to do, more works they need to perform, more laws they need to obey. Do this, do that. If you really, really love Jesus, you will blank, their preacher says. 
Loud sermons, pulpit pounding, all for dramatic effect. It's as if God is trying to pound the preacher's words into their heads. Evidently, the Holy Spirit works better if the preacher yells and is theatrical. Is it any wonder that people raised in such an environment have low self-esteem? Many IFB preachers even preach against having self-esteem. He put against in bold black letters. Church members are taught to hate self so God can get all the glory. We wouldn't want humans taking credit for anything, right? Well, there's one thing church members can take credit for. Any good that happens, God gets all the credit. If bad things happen or someone screws up, or as I like to say, or someone fucks up, is it all on IFB church members? God ain't taking any credit for the bad shit. I have spent the last 12 years trying to find myself. The flesh and blood Bruce Gerencer, who spent a lifetime in the evangelical church, is dead. My being, my self-worth, was swallowed up by God, the church, and the ministry. My life was defined by the call of God. Nothing else mattered. I left the ministry and told God to take a hike. At the time of our divorce, God and I were not on speaking terms. God owes me some money, but he refuses to pay up. All I asked for was some of the treasure I had in laid up in heaven. Since I'm going to hell when I die, I thought it would be nice to have the treasure now so I could get some good use out of it. Bit by bit, I'm finding out who I really am. It is not always pretty, but it is honest and authentic. Some people don't like the new Bruce Gerenson. They want the old Bruce back. They still cling to the hope that my apostasy is just a phase, and I will come back and be a better-than-ever pastor. What a testimony I could have, right? I could milk the from preacher to atheist to preacher story for all it's worth. There is no going back. The apostle taught me to run the race that is before me, and that is what I'm doing. The longer I run, the more distant Christianity appears behind me. I don't know what lies ahead, but I do know what lies behind, and I have no desire to return to the leeks, onions, and bondage of Egypt. Bruce Gerenser, 64, lives in rural northwest Ohio with his wife for 43 years. He and his wife have six grown children and 13 grandchildren. Bruce pastored the evangelical church for 25 years in Ohio, Texas, and Michigan. Bruce left the ministry in 2005 and in 2008, he left Christianity. Bruce is now a humanist and an atheist. I think that was incredible. Um for me to even read about, you know, again, I still get amazed at those articles in particular. Um, because I find it intriguing that a lot of them are basically taught not to have fun, not to enjoy life because, you know, it's a sin to enjoy this life. Um, and so those are things that I have personally rejected. Um, I couldn't do it anymore. I really had to let that life go. Um, it was unfulfilling to me 
fact, I want to read this part again. This part of the Malcolm X story. Um, that is so important. And as I scroll through it, I want it to be understood why I'm saying what I'm saying. Okay, here we go. You have a lot of people who have ultra-conservative views on their faith. So, in the IFB world, even when it came to the Nation of Islam back in the heydays of Elijah Muhammad, you know, some ultra-conservative people that dancing's a sin, gambling's a sin, dating's a sin, attending movies a sin, attending sports is sin, and taking long vacations from work are sins. Um, and you know, they say no pork. Um, no tobacco, no alcohol, no drugs, no narcotics, um, no fornication, no LGBTQ plus, they will wrongfully call that quote-unquote sodomy, even though Sodom and Gomorrah is about inhospitality, not homosexuality, right? So those are I reject all of their definitions of sins. I reject all of the list of sins that they say are sins in their mind, but I don't see any of those life realities of sins at all. Um, I'm glad I left that world. I am never, ever going back. So I combine episodes I've done before to give you more meat to what I'm saying, all right? So thank you for hearing my heart.